Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season five, episode seven, Choice. Okay, mm. yeah, let's do this. Let's All right. start it. Opening scene. There's a patrol officer. He's walking by. It's dark. He hears glass breaking. Also, when cops wear their whole outfit, like the little pointy hat thingy, mm-hmm. it makes them look like a fucking dummy cartoon character. Like they should have huge white shoes or something. <laughs> white gloves and only three fingers. <laughs> right. I don't think cops do that anymore. What, wear the hat? Not when they're on the beat. Yeah, I don't think so either. Only when they get giant pretzels and they're getting an award. Yeah. yeah, because what are they going to do if they have to like hoof it after a perp? They're going to be like, oh, my hat, <laughs> like run back. Yeah, and Exactly. <laughs> they put one of those little chin straps on it, <laughs> like David Attenborough. And they're like, mm. <laughs> I love David Attenborough. So he calls it in and asks for backup. He checks the building. It's Mama Sue's restaurant. The door's unlocked. So he walks in. When he gets inside, he can see some graffiti that says, suck it, bitch, without the T. Without the T and bitch. Oh, yeah. A woman is on the floor. She's still conscious and she's asking for help. And there's a guy hovering over her with a gun. This perp, he unrealistically ends up getting away through the door. The cop came in through. It's unrealistic because they both had their guns drawn. Yeah, he's like, he's like, hey, wait, don't, don't leave. Like, How are you going to get okay. through the door? that the cop came in you're like oh excuse me they like shuffle past each other excuse me <laughs> excuse me <laughs> excuse me i'm trying to leave and he's like wait uh, uh, my hat don't take my hat <laughs> cop gives a statement to benson the suspect is a male possibly latino late teens dark jacket and a hat stabler rolls up the woman who was assaulted is the owner of the restaurant her name is jennifer fulton jennifer was hit in the head and raped Sometimes her husband closes and sometimes she closes. The cops know that and do a routine check-in at night to make sure she's okay. The perp sprayed suck it, bitch, on the glass behind the bar, but no money was taken. Stabler thinks that the perp either didn't get to finish the job and take money or the attack was personal. In the hospital, Benson and Stabler go to speak with Jennifer. They're doing a walk and talk with the doctor first. Jennifer was a really big get, by the way. This actor, Josie Bissett, played Jane in 172 episodes of Melrose Place in the 90s, which was huge. She went on to play Kathleen in 90 episodes of The Secret Life of the American Teenager before pretty much dominating made-for-TV movies. And that got me thinking, like, are made-for-TV movies still even really a thing? Because didn't that concept sort of morph into series or, like, streaming streaming platforms? You know what I mean? Yeah. Sorry, am I interrupting you? Am I boring you? Okay, go. Oh, no, I was just think- I was just genuinely thinking about it. I'm like, that's a thing I want to research later. Mm. Okay, the doctor says she really wanted to leave after the rape kit was finished, but the doctor wanted to admit her for the night, but she refuses. She's still there. Benson and Stabler are in the room talking to Jennifer, but she doesn't know who her attacker was. She can't remember anything about him and was hit in the head from behind. Benson tells her to go and get some rest and they'll talk later, but Jennifer is not having it. She doesn't want to talk about the assault. She says she survived and just wants to put it all behind her. Theme song. Theme song. (laughs) Okay, Um, stop. (laughs) In my note on this scene, I was like, I don't know if I believe her. Probably because she was like, I don't remember 
anything. And I was like, I'm pretty perceptive. <laughs> also, the wound on her head was on her forehead, not from being, not like behind. Mm-hmm. Let's go to this Benny Toots and Craig and Street walk and talk. Benny tells them that the rape kit was negative, but the ER confirmed that Jennifer was assaulted. And Craig says, well, denial is a normal response to trauma. True. Benny mm-hmm. thinks Jennifer might be afraid the rapist will come back again. Toots shows Craig in the graffiti. He's sending her a message. And they all speculate about it being gang shit. And I'm like, that's fucking weird because it's graffiti. It literally said, suck it, bitch. There were no gang tags. There were no, like, nothing that would imply that it was a gang. And it's a weird focus to me. I've literally written that on bathroom stall wall before just for fun. Like, don't. Right. It's not. It's just, it's a bizarre. It's not like um, Crips were here, heart emoji or whatever. (laughs) You know? It's just. Right. It's suck, suck it, it bitch. bitch. Love bloods. <laughs> right. <laughs> but what do I know? You know, maybe it was just a new recruit trying to make his bones, dude. Benny said that. And I was like, mm. I know. <laughs> I focus on it, too. I was like, damn, girl. He's just trying to make his bones. <laughs> Craigan wants them to check with local precincts and CSU to get more information. All right. At the restaurant crime scene, we're with forensic tech O'Halloran, and he's going over his findings with Munch and Toots. This dude played an assistant ME in season two, but is now being brought in as Ryan O'Halloran, forensic tech and fitness enthusiast for 52 episodes. <laughs> I say fitness enthusiast just because he seemed like he worked out a lot. They didn't say that. Yeah. He'll be with us until season 10. Okay. Yeah. So O'Halloran found skin, blood, and makeup on the corner of the bar, which explained the cut on Jennifer's head. She bashed it on the corner of the bar. There are no security cameras. The spray paint is common and can be found in a lot of stores. So that might be a little tougher to pin down. Mm -hmm. CSU is still checking the bar for prints. (laughs) This is so dumb. The top of a pack of gum was found, like that little paper part from a five-stick pack that gets peeled off in a really satisfying way by pulling on that little red string, you know? Yes. They don't really have those anymore, do they? I don't think so. Back in my day, I used to love pulling on a red string. You know, I... (laughs) What? (laughs) I'd get myself five sticks of big red gum. I'd have one for myself, and I'd share the other two with my brothers. But Tasha, there's two left. Those are also for me. (laughs) So O'Halloran tells them the floor had already been mopped. So the gum could be from the perp. But unfortunately, there's not enough of it to print. But it's something. I'm going to bet that it comes in super handy. That's the assumption I made. (laughs) Um, One, I was correct. And two, it's so stupid. This is so... The the lead that this takes them on, this is not a lead, you guys. Toots was like, all right, cool. Let's go over this. A kid breaks in. Pops a piece of gum to calm his nerves and fucking beep boop boop does this shit. I laughed so hard when he said that. I'm like, what a weird conclusion to come to. But then it got stuck in my cross. So I did a little Googling. I found this. A study out of Swinburne University. (laughs) Sorry. Found that people who chew gum while multitasking under stress had lower cortisol levels, reduced levels of stress and anxiety, and increased levels of alertness and performance. Another found that chewing gum can improve a negative mood and increase levels of peace and calm. And I was like, wow, good for this kid for knowing all of that. But also, no, he didn't. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. No, he he absolutely did not. 
He wasn't yeah. like, I gotta commit this crime, but I gotta get a pack of gum first. <laughs> gotta calm those nerves. What am I gonna do? Commit a crime without a stick of gum? Boop. Anyway, Toots wants to check stores in the area to see if they can find where he bought the gum. So fucking far-fetched, but dang I it. I think it just might work, you guys. Okay. <laughs> Back at the precinct, Stabler lets Cragen know that the Fultons haven't filed any complaints with the local precinct about gang harassment. I am so annoyed by this narrative. We're going to get past mm-hmm. it, but it's fucking annoying. But Jennifer has a history an undercover cop caught her serving alcohol to an underage person, Leon Ardiaz. Munch and Toots fucking trot in and they are pumped. Munch has a VHS tape and he's like, we found the smoking gum. Actually, they, ri- they ride in on a tandem bicycle and they're like, <laughs> doublement. <laughs> yeah, Munch had that fucking holstered. Like he was excited to say that. As soon as he got it, he probably said to Toots, oh my God, the smoking gun. And then he's like, smoking gum. <laughs> I'm going to do that when we get to the precinct. Don't tell them I said it though. Don't tell them I came up with it. Let me say it first. So these two pulled the security tapes from the surrounding stores and found footage of a guy matching the description of the perp buying the same gum at a store 15 minutes before the attack. This fucking footage is so stupid. First of all, this security footage looks like a scene from a soap opera, not a security camera. It's like zooming in on the guy. It's ridiculous. Second, the dude comes up to the cashier and holds the pack of gum like up like a stick to make sure we see it. He like walks up and he's like, one gum, please. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. (laughs) it's so dumb and not how people exist in real life remember how you were talking about like an ai reality and how the everything's just a little bit skewed like that's what that was Mm -hmm. gum oh you mean my spider alien dream yes yeah they live in a terrarium like this guy at least lives in a terrarium and that's how you buy a pack of gum hello here is my face and my gum purchase (laughs) it's not (laughs) Okay, this cop comes in, hands Stabler a mugshot, gasp. It's Leon Ardias. He's the guy in the security footage buying the gum, the one gum. It's Leon Ardias. <laughs> Everyone in this episode is way too good looking. This is a good looking kid. The woman is really good looking. Like mm-hmm. everybody, everybody's just glowing this episode. Now Benson and Stabler are in the Fulton apartment. They're talking to Jennifer and her husband. Benson asks Jennifer if she saw the perp. Jennifer insists that she still doesn't remember seeing the guy that attacked her, but she picks Leon out of a printed lineup. She's like, I think it's him. And her husband has this crazy New York accent, and he's like, take your time, Mm -hmm. Jen. Yeah. The second he talked, I was like, you're the guy. You're the guy. You did this. (laughs) He sounds like Big Ange from Mob Wives. He does. Rest in peace. Oh, she died. She did. Oh, she had cancer. Is she the one that she's like, he bought me a puppy? Yes. <laughs> I loved her. That's the only scene I've uh, seen of her. I've seen, well, I've seen a couple like scenes of her. <laughs> he bought me a puppy. He was in prison, but everybody makes mistakes. <laughs> yeah. So Jennifer recognized him from the underage drinking incident a month before. Jennifer's husband says that Leon, quote, had the balls to blame Jennifer that he got in trouble for drinking. They asked him why he didn't close the night that Jennifer was attacked. He says he didn't close that night because he had Nick's tickets. 
Stabler's like, oh, it was a badass game. And I thought Houston was going to pull it out for them in the fourth. Jennifer's husband gets irritated and said that they fouled out in the third. What fucking game were you watching? Mm-hmm. Stabler looks confused and said that he probably was thinking of a different game. It was fake confusion, though. Yeah. He was trying to bluff him out. You know, like, oh, were Catch you really up. at the game? Yeah. yeah. What game were you watching? Yeah. Oh, well, oh, yeah. I must have been thinking about, mm, yeah. And this guy saw right through it and he mm-hmm. did not like it. Yeah. So this dude is like, uh, great. <laughs> so you're going to find the fucking guy or talk about baseball, you stupid piece of shit? Baseball. I didn't say that. <laughs> Nick's or, basketball. or basketball. Sorry, I put, I said, I even wrote basketball. I don't know why I said baseball. Sports. <laughs> so I love them. I love a sport. It's so good. <laughs> one sport, please. <laughs> I will purchase one sport. You won't be able to get hardly a, any of my fingerprints on this sport, <laughs> but I'll buy it. So this dude is like, so are you going to fucking find the guy or talk about basketball, you dumb piece of shit with your fat ass throwing around in my house? Busting every chair that I offer you. (laughs) So now we're in an interview room. Leon is being questioned by Toots and Munch. Leon denies knowing who Jennifer is and says that he did not attack her. And Munch says, you did the lady. Ew. Ew. Left your tag and even faced down a cop. Toots and Munch see orange paint on Leon's fingers that match the shade used to vandalize the bar. <gasps> oh my god. It's too early though. Mm-hmm. At this point I was like, yeah, Leon was probably painting his grandma's fence or something. Yeah, because they always do that. Mm-hmm. Rebecca Balthus busts into the interview room. She's representing Leon. They tell her they're taking him to the crime lab to check the paint on his hands. So in the crime lab, Leon and Belthus are there. She's like, fuck that, I'm coming with. Mm-hmm. Belthus is fucking walking around and looking at everything, saying that they... Remember that yeah. Balthus is Beverly D'Angelo. Mm-hmm. So Balthus is walking around and looking at everything, and she says, oh, this is where you guys cook the books. <laughs> There's evidence photos from the crime scene at the restaurant. Munch tells her to get away. She says, listen, Munchkins, I can see it now or I can see it in Discovery. And I loved that. Mm, Did she say Munchkins? She did. Oh, my God. I missed that. And I was like, (laughs) what a sass. I know. He made this face like, Mm. she tells Crime Lab. He's like, you seem like you hate me. Do you want to get married? (laughs) (laughs) Right after our wedding night, you can change the locks. I don't care. That's what they all do. That's what they do. <laughs> she tells crime lab dudes that the paint on Leanne's fingers match like a million different paint cans, which isn't, she's not wrong. Mm-hmm. Balthus starts going through the evidence tags. A bottle of wine with Jennifer's prints, a broken glass found in the trash with partial prints because it was wiped down. They don't know whose they are. Balthus says that Jennifer shared a bottle of wine with a mystery person who then wiped their prints off the glass and left. She asks Leon if Jennifer invited him in for a glass of wine. And he's like, no, ma'am. The paint on Leon's hand is a match for the paint at the scene. All of a sudden, Leon starts fucking talking. He admits that he found the door open. He went in and was tagging the bar and saw Jennifer lying on the ground. He says he planned on helping her, but the cops showed up. Balthus says it's criminal trespass and he probably won't even get fucking probation. Toot says, bro, he had a gun. Balthus says, gun? What gun? Did anyone find a gun? Oh, and shut up, Leon. Don't talk anymore. Yeah. Back at the precinct, Munch and Toots update Cragen in a walk and talk. Cragen's upset that Balthus went to the crime lab, but Toots explains that she saw what she would have seen in Discovery anyway. Cragen's like, fucking whatevs, dude. We got to find this mystery boyfriend or whatever. Benson and Stabler are working on finding who attacked 
Jennifer. Ooh, Staves has tea. Jennifer's husband, Craig, has had domestic violence calls made on him before. So his fingerprints are on file, but they're sealed, you guys. Jennifer dropped the charges before they could make it to court. And bitch, they're totally not living together anymore. But you didn't hear that from me. (laughs) Craig moved out about six months ago. I bet Jennifer was seeing somebody. Ooh. Benson says they act like a couple because she found out through the franchise office for Mama Sue's. Everybody's chins are on their fists at this point. They're all just leaned in together. Mm -hmm. Like, they're all sharing one milkshake. There's like nine straws in it. Like, (laughs) someone's getting COVID. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) I'll tell you that much. If Jennifer and Craig split up or get in any legal trouble, they could lose the restaurant since it's in both their names. And girl, the restaurant is in trouble. Profits are in the toilet. They were considering closing the place. And Craig is like, that's a recipe for violence. Get it? (laughs) Restaurant? Craig wants to get the prints from the state liquor license. Craig would have had to have his prints run to obtain one. Craig also Mm -hmm. tells Benson to find out who Jennifer shared, quote, that romantic bottle of wine with the night of the attack. At the precinct, Benny is questioning Jennifer. Jennifer's upset that she's being questioned again. And Benson tells Jennifer that she's got to spill everything. The defense is going to dig into her personal life, so they've got to know all this shit, too. Then she brings up the separation. And Jennifer tells her, I want a fucking divorce, and Craig doesn't. And then she says she doesn't want to talk about it anymore and gets up to leave. Craig and stops her. Jennifer basically tells him to fuck off and tries to step around him, and he steps in her path again. She's pissed. Mm -hmm. I would also be pissed. I get that they need her to talk, but it's a little pushy. Like, this adult man just stands in your path, and then you try to sidestep, and he sidesteps you. I'd be like, mother Motherfucker, move. So she's like, okay, fine. Fucking what? Benson tells her that they know that Leon had a grudge against her and asks if he tried to rape her. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Jennifer's like, oh my God, let's go talk. Jennifer goes back into the room with Benson and she tells her it wasn't Leon who attacked her. Finally, that poor fucking kid. She's like, sorry. Sorry, I almost got a kid put away. What would the charges be? Attempted murder? They would have tried to come after him for his weapon, you know, having like police testify that he had a weapon, fucking rape, assault, breaking and entering. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway, Benson asks if Craig attacked her and Jennifer's like, yeah, dude. Yeah. It was fucking Craig. The night of the attack, Craig came to the restaurant when Jennifer was closing. They had a bottle of wine. Craig accused Jennifer of running the restaurant into the ground and that if she divorced him, that he would cut her out of the franchise. She says that she told him, quote, over my dead fucking body. And that's when he got violent. Craig ripped Jennifer's shirt, shoved his hand between her legs and said that he could do whatever he wanted to her. She told him that she was pregnant so that he would stop. And she tried to run away and fell. Benny's like, oh, my God, are you pregnant? Jennifer's like, yeah, dude, 11 weeks. And Craig's the dad. Benny asks if Jennifer would testify against him, but she doesn't want to. But then Benny makes the promise of all promises that's gonna totally be stuck to. They can protect her. Jesus Christ. No, they fucking can't. Oh my God, every time they say that, they're like, whoops, no, oops. Every, oops. Sorry, somebody shot through the window in a second floor. (laughs) Yeah, they don't even balance it out in this show by being like, well, we did it again. We're two for two on making sure that somebody didn't get murdered while they were a witness for us. Like, it's never that. 
Yeah. They're never like, you know what? You guys did a really good job. Nobody ever brings in a fruit basket at the end of the episode. And it's like, <laughs> you guys did such a great job making sure that I stayed safe. Like, thank you so much. They're like, we, we can keep you safe. Here's my home phone number. <laughs> in the precinct, Craig and defense attorney Nikki Stainis are brought in by Benson and Stabler. Stainis is played by actor Callie Thorne, who is in this role until present day's universe. And this is her mm. first of eight appearances thus far. So she doesn't show oh. up a ton, but she's a yeah. long running reoccurring character. And then next season, she's going to be like a fucking hot dog vendor or some shit. They just don't. <laughs> Stanis is informed that Jennifer recanted her statement that she was attacked by Leon and that it was actually Craig that attacked her. Stanis says, well, then Mrs. Fulton is an unreliable witness. Who's she gonna finger next? And she said finger too hard for me. So she's immediately been moved to my no file. Like, no, no. Craig chimes in. I didn't touch Jed. (laughs) He like does say it like that. And Benson just checks him and says, liar, you beat her up like you have before. We're going to put you at the fucking scene, bro. Craig says they don't have his prints. Mm. And Stabler lets him know that the state has them from when he got his liquor license, bitch. Mm. And he's like, OMG, I was at the restaurant, okay? I went to talk to her after the Knicks game about saving the business. She'd been there drinking by herself and didn't want to talk to him about the business. She had bigger problems, like being pregnant, she said. So that was news to him, apparently. Yeah. He says he didn't beat her up. He begged her to stop drinking because of right. the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. He tried to grab her keys and that's when her blouse was ripped and she fell on the floor because she was wobbly ass drunk. Craig left because he was scared that she was going to call the cops and blame him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This this is one of those. There's three sides to every story. Yours, mine, and the truth. Because she says that he stuck his hand between her legs and said he could yeah. do whatever he wanted to her. Yeah. Which I'm not just gonna throw out the window because you say that she was drinking. Exactly. You know? Now we're in Novak's office. Craig's lawyer, Nikki Stains. Is it Nikki Stainis or Stains? I think it's Stainis. I'm gonna call her Stains. Okay. Craig's lawyer tells Novak that Craig doesn't want to put Jennifer through the stress of a trial due to the pregnancy. And Novak is like, oh my God, how noble of him. (laughs) I accidentally paused at a point where she was like hard eye rolling and it was perfect and I wish I would have taken a picture. Craig will take a Serrano, a.k.a. a no contest deal of assaults free in exchange for misdemeanor probation. Novak brings up his past charges as reasons for why she's not going to fucking make a deal with this guy. She wants to go to trial. Stains counters that the charges were dropped. Novak doesn't give a shit. She has everything she needs to go to trial. Stains thinks that Craig will be acquitted. He grabbed her because he was trying to protect his unborn child when Jennifer was drunk and trying to drive. She fell and hit her head. Novak makes a counteroffer. Craig takes the plea and a restraining order, and she'll fucking lock his ass up if he harasses Jennifer at all. Novak, Benson, and Stabler do a walk and talk. Novak tells him about the deal. Benson and Stabler are fucking pissed that they made a deal with this guy. Benson argues with Novak about prosecuting Craig when Novak brings up that Jennifer pinned the attack on the wrong guy. She literally goes, Jennifer didn't exactly help her case by fingering the wrong guy. Okay, the writers are fucking with us at this point. Everybody's got to stop. Stop fingering. Jeremy. You guys. Jeremy fucking fingered somebody on a fucking cruise and was like... (laughs) Trying to tell everybody that he did it. (laughs) He's like, how do I let everybody know that I fingered somebody without like having to tell them and look stupid? (laughs) Halfway through the episode, somebody is like, Jeremy, did you finger somebody? Did you 
fucking figure somebody on that cruise, on that Disney cruise. He's like, come on, mm. man. <laughs> oh my God, gross. They're like, the head of the FCC called and said that you sent an email asking how you could get away with mentioning the fact that you fingered someone on your cruise. He's like, oh my God, I didn't want to kiss and tell. <laughs> I didn't want to finger and tell. What? Who fingered me? Who fingered me and told you guys that? <laughs> Okay, so then Benson's like, oh, uh, rape victims have to be perfect or you won't prosecute? Novak's like, no, I'm not going to prosecute because I'm not going to fucking win the case, bitch. Stabler brings up the statistics that the way most pregnant women die is from domestic violence. We've talked about that in another episode, which is fucked up. Mm -hmm. Novak brings up the restraining order and Benson's like, oh, yeah, that'll stop them. Let's go give her the good news. And then I was like, wait, I thought you could protect her, Benson. Isn't that what you said? You literally said the same thing. Yeah. We can protect you. And she's like, no, you can't. And you're like, yes, we can. And Novak's like, well, we can protect her. And you're like, no, you can't. <laughs> it's the same thing. Benson Stabler walk away, leaving Novak alone on the street, feeling like she did something wrong. But you don't have to. You did your job. You're a good person. She's sitting there in the street just wondering, oh, my God, is it me or were they this shitty to their last ADA? <sighs> Fucking Cabot's bangs pop up under a manhole cover and she's got it strapped <laughs> under her chin because it's like a hat. <laughs> And she's like, yeah, they're dicks. And Novak's like, I hate your bangs. And she just kind of back down under the street. I See, I imagine just two big eyeballs with bangs popping up like, like yeah. Muppets. <laughs> like a Muppet. Yeah. She's like, I'm not actually on witness protection. I just really hated this job. People are fucking pricks. I live in the sewer now <laughs> with all of Munch's cousins. <laughs> they work at this French restaurant and bring me all of the leftovers. It's so good. <laughs> munch a Nope. <laughs> Yes. Much of Suey. Okay, now we're in Jennifer's apartment. Benson and Stabler tell Jennifer the news about Craig's deal. And she's like, oh my God. She's like, got a big old glass of wine. <laughs> what? She said, oh my God. I can't believe this. <laughs> I thought you were going to protect me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jennifer's upset. Benson tells her that Craig pled out on sexual assault, which will be on his record. And that's a good thing. And brings up the restraining order. Mm. Jennifer's like, fuck that. I wish I never would have listened to you. She's guzzling her wine. And Stabler does this sort of Midwest thing. He's like, uh, you think you had enough there, bud? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she yells at him. She's like, don't fucking lecture me. Get out. Got out. <laughs> <laughs> Benson tries to recommend counseling. Jennifer doesn't fucking want it. Stabler's like, did you know that alcohol isn't good for the baby? <laughs> and she's like, it's not? Oh my God, I'm gonna dump all this wine. Fuck you, shut up. Like, I know. <laughs> yeah. And then Jennifer's like, well, actually, I'm not having the baby. And then Stabler fucking silently judges her in Catholic. Mm-hmm. 100%. Then Benson gives Jennifer her home phone number just in case she needs her. That's the only way, whenever she's like gonna protect somebody, she's always like, here's my home phone. Like, you can bother me at my house instead of just right. the precinct. Like, you're not doing anything. You're just giving out your phone number. <sighs> stop. Stop getting over-involved, Benny. But we knew that she would. Right. In Benson's apartment, it's 1.32 a.m. Benson's 2003 cordless phone rings on her nightstand. <laughs> she turns to answer it and is absolutely radiant as always. The moonlight is just, oh. Yep. Hello? He did what? With who? And they what? With who? No, he did what? Where are you? Fuck, it's Jennifer. So Benny goes to meet Jennifer at Mama Sue's restaurant. 
Jennifer says that a woman came in around closing time telling her that she had something from Craig. It's a fucking temporary restraining order to stop her from having an abortion. And the court date is tomorrow. Whoa. Jennifer looks at Benny and goes, can he really do this? Um, fuck no, he can't. Mm -hmm. And I looked it up. The law is laid out like this. I found this on findlaw.com. There was actually a really, all of it was really interesting, but this is what applies to this. If a father's pregnant partner seeks to have an abortion, the father's consent isn't legally required. The person carrying the child may choose to terminate a pregnancy against the father's objections. The legal reasoning for this is twofold. It's based on a woman's right to privacy in that woman's medical decisions, while it's also based on the fact that the mother is more directly affected by pregnancy. In both considerations, observance of the pregnant party's reproductive rights has been key. I don't know how many times I go back like between the rest of this episode and in the chaser that the laws are all fucking flipped around right now mm -hmm. just with the overturn of Roe v. Wade and everything. So who the fuck knows how I accurate anything is. I still can't believe that. It's insane. Oh, the woman is more affected by pregnancy. You mean more affected, like 100% affected. It's the only one affected. Yeah. A man is only affected yeah. if he chooses to be. Ew. So you have a choice. Our choice is just more complicated. Get out. Yeah. In Novak's office. Get out of my uti, bro. <laughs> Get out of my uti, you little cutie. <laughs> In Novak's office, Jennifer and Benson show Novak the temporary restraining order. And Novak's like, fuck no. Craig cannot stop Jennifer from getting an abortion. If she's been served, she has to appear in court, even though the order is illegal. The judge they're appearing in front of is pro-life Judge Rebard, but even he will have to throw it out. I was like, I bet he doesn't, but he does. Craig was able to get it in front of this judge because he hired an anti-abortion attorney, Felicity Bradshaw, who defends Planned Parenthood protesters and clinic bombers. Mm. Novak can't represent Jennifer in this, but recommends attorney Lorna Scary. She had her name legally changed to Big Dick Other Lawyers, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I know. I was like, okay, she's supposed to be like a badass lawyer, and they gave her the last name Scary. Like, Jeremy is all over this fucking yeah so anyway novak recommends attorney lorna scary to jennifer novak says that she's tough and has even won against novak twice which i love her confidence right she's like she's beat me twice so she's got to be fucking good dude mm -hmm. all of my pores <laughs> in my body are little mouths so my whole <laughs> oh body my is screaming teeth uvulas everything <laughs> just a million tiny ah like this is not fucking law okay not then anti-abortion has no place in a courtroom when the law states that abortion is legal follow the law Right. Okay. Also, fuck our current standing with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Right. Uh, I think we're all pretty much on the same page. If you've come this far and that's not the page that you're on, this is not the show for you. Yeah. What, like, like, this what are is you not doing the podcast here? For you. We don't like you. <laughs> what are you doing here? Get out. <laughs> like all of a sudden, we're just mean girls. Like <laughs> we wear pink on Wednesdays. If you're here to have polite discord about it, then that is also not a thing. Not with us. No, we're not like, going to be polite. I don't have that. Yeah, stay out of my uti cutie. <laughs> stay out of my uti. Stay out. <laughs> now we're in trial. Jennifer's lawyer, Scary, calls 
restraining order from Craig, blatant harassment and intimidation. Oh, also, this is the first of six appearances for Scary Lorna. Oh. Bradshaw argues that Craig can't manage his restaurant because of the restraining order he got in the plea deal, and he's basically using the court date to communicate with Jennifer. Bradshaw says Craig wants to prevent the abortion and that he wants to pay for Jennifer to go to rehab for alcohol and provide financial support during her pregnancy and take custody of the child after it's born. Jennifer's fucking pissed. Mm. She obviously declines the offer and she's like, I don't have a fucking drinking problem and you don't even like kids. Scary asks where the money would come from since Craig is, quote, broke. Bradshaw says funding will come from a group that she is associated with called Apness Day. Scary is like, fuck no, that's a well-known religious organization. She accuses this group of trying to rewrite the Constitution and take away Jennifer's constitutional rights. Mm -hmm. The judge jumps in and says that Apness Day also has a constitutional right to express their beliefs, but he has to dismiss the case because lawfully their case has no standing. Thank you. Mm -hmm. The judge dismisses the case, but fucking then, in front of everybody, gives fucking Jennifer a guilt trip by saying, Mm. I know you and your husband are at war, but like before you rush off to the clinic, ask yourself, does your child have to be an innocent casualty? Shut fucking you the fuck up. Shut the fuck. That's shut, not your fucking place, shut bro. Your fucking Darth Vader with his mask off, fucking face. Right. You piece of shit. Mind your fucking business. You know what your business is? You got. You're, it's over. It's over. Gavel slam. Goodbye. Nobody fucking yeah. asked you. Yeah. Sorry. Oh my god, you're right. It's just disgusting. I was like, this motherfucker did not just say that. It's just the audacity. I know. So. Outside of the court, Scary is fucking pissed, mm-hmm. saying that the judge has no right to give personal advice and that the abortion is Jennifer's fucking choice. Yeah. Craig runs up with Bradshaw and he's like, Jennifer! And he's apologizing. Benson shuts him down and reminds him of the restraining order. Craig tells Jennifer not to get rid of the baby to punish him. And he reminds her that she wanted a baby for a long time. Craig's lawyer Bradshaw is trying to get him to chill and pulls him away. Benson turns around and tells Jennifer to not let Craig get in her head. He wants her to keep the baby to have control over her. But then Jennifer is like, I'm actually gonna have the baby. And it's not because of what Craig said, but because she really wants to have it. Jennifer's lawyer, Scary, tells her it's a decision that only you can make and wishes her luck and takes off. Benson asks her if she's sure and tells her to talk to a counselor. Okay, so now Benson and Jennifer are at the Fetal Alcohol Syndrome Center and they're meeting with a counselor. The counselor tells Jennifer that seven drinks a week or four drinks on one occasion could lead to FAS. She then explains what it is and tells Jennifer that there is a chance that the baby could have issues even though she's still early in pregnancy. Even moderate social drinkers could have fetal alcoholic syndromes in their babies. So to be safe, they say to have no alcohol. They can't say 100% why one baby is born with FAS and another other is not even though the mothers drink the same jennifer is told to play it safe and to stop drinking immediately and get help if she needs to but just to stop like right now yeah after the appointment jennifer thanks benson for going with her and promises to clean up her act Mm -hmm. as jennifer walks up to the front door a dude walks up to her benny pulls her gun out and tells jen to get in the car (laughs) she's like don't worry about it dude it's fucking craig's brother josh (laughs) i mean (laughs) Josh is like, what the fuck? No shit. Shaggy yeah. little 19-year-old Josh is like, my brother told me to come here. I... He walked up the second she got home, first of all. So he looks like he was 
yeah. staking out her place, which is a little a little more concerning. So, like, I get it. Right, yeah. She, he, he came in hot, and Benson didn't know who he was. Mm-hmm. Josh hands Jennifer an envelope, oh and it's another fucking court order. Craig has now brought action against Jennifer in family court for derivative neglect, meaning she's a threat to her baby. And he wants the state to lock her up to make her stop drinking. Oh, my God, Jennifer, he's doing the controlling thing that Benson told you about. Fuck. Mm-hmm. In the precinct... Stabler's man confused. He's like, doesn't matter what Jennifer does. He's taking her to court. What's this guy want? And Benny's like, um, power over Jennifer. Welcome to being a woman in so many relationships. Hi. Yeah. She calls Craig a control freak. And Munch says in this case, family court has to act in the best interest of the child, whether it's born or unborn. No. My argument there is Craig is accusing her of being an alcoholic, but where's his evidence? You know? Right. Stabler asks, what's the worst that could happen? She goes to rehab and Toots adds, yeah, which could help her and the kid. Benson's head is spinning. She tells them that they're overlooking that Jennifer was assaulted by Craig. Another thing the room full of men is overlooking is jennifer's fucking autonomy and rights but okay they're like she should get sent away i mean we're only fucking officers in svu yeah fuck off you guys need a seminar munch brings up jennifer's drinking and benson defends jennifer by saying that she's not drinking now and even if she was it's not a fucking crime daddy craigan says it's not even their case anymore so shut the fuck up and move on we have a million other things to do you guys and tooth says well Mm -hmm. the kid is the special victim now isn't it and benny's fucking head explodes everywhere brain matter fucking everywhere and just starts losing it she's like oh my god you guys he left his pregnant wife bleeding on the floor he doesn't give a shit about the baby jennifer is still a victim Mm -hmm. craig needs to be watched just in case his harassment turns into something criminal and stabler goes you think he'd be that stupid okay does the word bitch have a t in it yeah he would be that stupid yeah (laughs) all right oh oh I need to take a drink because I put in bold. I say, Gabe, I get really angry in this scene. So in this next scene. Yeah. Sorry if I'm yelling. Okay. Ooh, ooh I'm so excited. I poop my skirt. Okay, so we go to family court. In family court, Bradshaw is telling the judge that they're sure Jennifer is well-intentioned, but that's not going to protect her baby from Jennifer's drinking. This is where I pop in and say, that's not law, okay? That's your concern. It's your opinion. Scary Mm -hmm. argues that the fetus can't be qualified as a person under the law. And then I pop in again and I say, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's the law. That's that's the argument. You're arguing the law. Bradshaw says surgeons can operate on a fetus at 18 weeks. If a fetus can be a patient, how can it not be a person? That's not what we're arguing right now. The mother is the patient in that case anyway. But that's not what we're fucking arguing right now. We're not arguing when a fetus is viable and abortion rights and whatever. Like, you're fucking taking it off the rails, Bradshaw. Mm-hmm. The judge, who we've seen before as a principal in season three, reminds Bradshaw to stick to the law because they're in a courtroom upholding the law, not the opinions of you and your fucking book club, lady. Bradshaw says, <laughs> sorry, my mouth is dry already because I'm just like spitting rage all over my computer screen. 
Bradshaw says the law covers the fetus as a person in cases of homicide and neglect and cites a case to give the argument some weight, right? Fucking scary's like, ooh, you bitch. In that case, a woman who was addicted to crack had five addicted babies and was pregnant with a sixth child. Jennifer hasn't had any kids. Jennifer's social drinking is legal, whereas crack is an illegal substance. Also, Jennifer stopped drinking when she decided to keep the baby, okay? Mm -hmm. Bradshaw calls Jennifer an alcoholic and the judge who can't fucking deal with it either is like, shut the fuck up, Bradshaw, and prove it, okay? (sighs) Prove this bitch is an alcoholic. Bradshaw presents affidavits to the court from those who know Jennifer that attest to lifelong drinking and says she can provide eyewitnesses to Jennifer's drinking while pregnant, Craig and Benson. Am I living in a fucking alternate reality? Like, what the fuck is this? All right, okay, so eyewitnesses, right? Craig has seen her drinking. Uh, Craig's not a credible witness because he's the one going up against her for everything. Also, there's a history of abuse in their relationship. Benson would have to testify that she's seen her drinking when she's cross-examined by the defense then. All she has to do is be like, yeah, and then she quit drinking again. That doesn't make... Also, none of this is legal. It's not illegal. None of the... Yeah, right. It doesn't... None of this matters. Yeah. It's not illegal to be an alcoholic. Mm Mm-mm. I'm not arguing for, like, I'm just pissed about the law end of it, right? I'm not sitting there going, let her fucking hurt her baby that she's going to keep. Like, no, of course not. Of course not. Right. But also, we're in a courtroom. We're in court. We're not in my basement office with my crafts. We are in a courtroom, you guys. Yeah. Scary tells the court that Jennifer has pledged to stop drinking now, and she knows the risks and brings up that she has no past alcohol-related offenses, no DUIs. What she does have is a controlling, abusive ex with an ideologically motivated lawyer. Like, what are we even fucking talking about? Right. And his lawyer's like, hey. The judge <laughs> looks over her teeny tiny itty bitty readers and is like, um, this is stupid. And I'll let you know if I want to hear any witnesses. Okay. The court's adjourned. Yeah. Benson meets Stabler outside to update him. Benson and Stabler are going to split the six people besides Benny that Craig named as witnesses to Jennifer's drinking and do some damage control. Benny asked Stabler if Kathy drank during her pregnancies, and he said she just had a glass of wine every once in a while. Benson tells him about what the fetal alcohol syndrome counselor said and asks if he would let Kathy drink if she was pregnant now. And I blink really hard and ask, let her? I know. Excuse I was me? like, let? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're walking past and we stop on the street and we're like, "Mm, excuse me? (laughs) Sorry, what? (laughs) Stabler sarcastically says that if Kathy was pregnant again, he would shoot himself. And I'm like, (coughs) Eli, (laughs) just wait. (laughs) You're going to have another baby. (laughs) Then says she already gave him four healthy kids. So he would trust her to make her own decisions. Um, Sure, Jan, you controlling ass nut. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, fucking right. Cute. I would trust her to make her own decision. If she was like, you know what? I'm not going to stop drinking this pregnancy. Okay. Yeah. He'd find a reason to have her arrested for nine months. Yeah. Again, not saying that you would need to be like, yeah, go ahead and drink. I have to be okay with it because I, you know, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's laughable that Stabler is implying that he wouldn't take control. Exactly. Yes. He would do it merely because she was like, no. You'd be like, I'm sorry, what? You're saying no to me? Mm. You know? sorry i'm the father in this household i do the driving in this house i am here three hours a week i think i've made my place known i won't go to a movie with you guys even though i don't spend a lot of time with you but i'm a dad make me a sandwich teenager daughter and make it huge (laughs) 
<laughs> if I can fit my mouth around it, it's too small. <laughs> that was uh, my nick. Mm, no, work. <laughs> <laughs> now we're at the apartment of Melody Dunn. Melody tells Stabler that she hasn't seen Jennifer in twenty years. Also, she is fucking adorable and i love that they named her melody Mm -hmm. so melody hasn't seen jennifer in 20 years and she's like i've had two people in the past few days come and ask about her and sailor's like oh who was here so craig had already been by a few days before and told melody he was there to get stories about jennifer about her school days for a surprise bullshit that's so creepy i know she told craig that jennifer was a good student but that she had also had a wild side you know like push boundaries like coming to class drunk i'm like geez (laughs) (laughs) and she had taken a semester off if i was judged for my shit from 20 years ago i mean i wouldn't have custody of my fucking children oh my god you know what i mean no shit like they're just like what was she like in school you the last time you saw her was 20 years ago and then they're going to be able to take that into court fucking ridiculous yeah stabler tells melody that craig was probably lying to her and that he's trying to hurt her in court stabler needs melody to tell him everything she said to craig about jennifer melody tells stabler something she didn't tell craig so jennifer left school because she was pregnant (gasps) and melody helped her find a home for unwed mothers jennifer's mom didn't care and her father had disappeared long ago so jennifer had turned to melody for help the baby was given up for adoption four years later melody was contacted by the adoption agency saying that they needed to contact jennifer they didn't say why melody told them where to contact jennifer and that's the last she heard this is where i'm like oh fucking twist this kid's gonna have fetal alcohol syndrome Benson Stabler go to visit Lily. Lily is adorable and asks Benson and Stabler to play go fish with her. I love how Stabler lights up and he's like, I love go fish. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's my favorite game. How much money are we putting on it, huh? <laughs> so the dad tells them that he and his wife adopted Lily about 17 years ago when she was three. They noticed that mm-hmm. Lily was having some coordination problems. They thought it would help to find her parents' medical history. The adoption agency was a fucking mess, but they found a school address and they wrote and phoned, but Jennifer never responded when they tried to reach out to her for medical history. Benson and Stabler go to talk to Jennifer about Lily. She didn't tell them about it because she didn't think it mattered. She was just a kid when this happened. She didn't answer the call she got because she didn't want to go through the pain of giving up her baby again. She says she thinks about Lily every day. Benson tells Jennifer they met Lily and that she has fetal alcohol syndrome. She tells Jennifer that she should meet with Lily. Jennifer is super upset to hear about Lily having FAS. Benson called the FAS counselor. So in families where one child has FAS, the chances of another child having it go up dramatically. Jennifer begs them not to tell anyone about Lily, but Benson tells her that they have to. They're fucking officers of the law and they can't keep this info from the court. In family court, the new information about Lily made the judge change her mind. The fetus is at risk of neglect, apparently. Jennifer's ordered to abstain from alcohol, and she has to go to outpatient alcohol rehab. So later, Benson goes over to the apartments to apologize to Jennifer. Jennifer's worried she can't run the restaurant, but Benson explains that she can make her own schedule since she's an outpatient. And Jennifer seems kind of off during this conversation. She's like chugging a Clarb run or something. Oh my God. It's a Diet Coke. And it's, I mean, the way she's drinking it. Okay. Benny asked Jennifer if she's been drinking and she denies it. But then she immediately takes another glug of her Diet Coke 
and it was like a teen in an 80s after school special. She was like, I'm just, no, and whatever. <laughs> Benny grabs her Diet Coke and smells it. And she's like, is this fucking rum, dude? Oh my God, you promised that you were going to stop drinking. What the fuck? I went to bat for you. Jennifer's like, I didn't ask you to. And Benny's like, yeah, you did. Right. You literally did. And then right. she arrests her for violating her court order. In a holding cell, Novak and Benny meet with Jennifer and Scary. Scary is angry about Jennifer's arrest. Novak defends Benson's decision. She's like, dude, Benny helped you out so much harder than she had to, and you glugged right in her face. <laughs> <laughs> Novak came to offer Jennifer a deal. She's like, okay, if you plead guilty, you'll spend the rest of your pregnancy in a residential rehab facility. Okay? You won't go to jail, whatever. Scary hates that, but Benny tells her it's a residential rehab. It's not prison. Like, this is your option, okay? Scary says that the message they're sending to other pregnant women by doing this is that if they have addictions or difficulties, they should avoid institutions that would normally be there to help them. Because if they do go there, they're going to get reported in some way and end up in fucking jail. Mm -hmm. I mean, at this point, I feel like Scary is running too much of a risk and should take the deal. She's fucking platforming now. She's soapboxing now. Yeah. I mean, Novak wouldn't be saying this if they didn't have something, you know? Right. They're like, we have, to, we have to do this. At this point, this is about her violating this order. She was given an order by the court. She violated it. There are consequences yeah. to that, regardless. Yeah. Jennifer still refuses the deal and says she wants to go to court. Now we're in trial. Scary questions Jennifer first. She asked her how she got here in this court. Novak immediately objects like what are you doing let's go judge tells scary to fucking get to where she's going with this questioning scary goes over how the whole case started with craig attacking her then him joining forces with an anti-abortion group and taking her to family court to stop her from getting the abortion jennifer says she had decided she wanted to keep the baby and felt lucky to be in a position to have one but then craig took her to court claiming she was an unfit mother because of her drinking the lawyer asked if jennifer had not been subjected to that level of harassment would she have even felt the need to drink which is a stupid question she says mm -hmm. no only when she's under stress does she drink heavily bullshit but whatever like i said it's not illegal novak is up now she asked jennifer if she can control her drinking and she says she can even though novak points out that she violated court orders within 24 hours jennifer says she was under a lot of stress and novak's like uh you're pregnant that stress isn't gonna go away anytime soon right can you guarantee you won't have another lapse Jennifer says yes, she loves her child and will control her drinking. Scary's final arguments are against the court state monitoring women for any activity that can harm a fetus, saying it violates women's rights to privacy and the right to control their body. Every woman who's pregnant could be monitored by the state. She says today it's alcohol, but what's next? Driving? Prescription meds? dieting if you give a fetus every right to the extent every family court demands then all you women here must be prepared to lose your own rights and where will it end with you as nothing more than a childbearing receptacle with no right to privacy and no right to control your own bodies Novak argues that Jennifer already broke her promises, so how can she promise to not do it again? She then argues for the health of the child. The jury finds Jennifer not guilty of contempt of court, but the ruling from family court still applies. Jennifer has to go to rehab the next day. Benson is across the street from Lily's house. Jennifer is parked in front of the house. Benson comes up and taps on Jennifer's window, and uh, she's like, hey, what are you doing? 
Jennifer says she came to see her daughter. And Benson's like, yeah, I know. Lily's dad had called and said that a woman had been outside the house watching for hours. Lily and her dad are in the front yard playing. Jennifer knows they didn't find her guilty because they didn't want to lock her up. But she says she's guilty. Jennifer is worried about her baby and that it will have FAS. Benson tells her to talk to Lily. She told Lily's parents who Jennifer is. And Lily's dad asked her to come over. Jennifer goes over to talk to Lily. Benson stays at the car. Lily and her dad greet Jennifer with smiles. End of episode. Friggin' Toyota. Toyota. All right. I'm going to tell you this uh, fucking hometown story. <gasps> hometown? Or just like a uh, small not, town? Not hometown, but it's, it's out of Wisconsin. Obviously, it's about Ooh. drinking. Mm-hmm. All right. On March 16th, 1996, at 2 p.m., 35-year-old Deborah Zimmerman entered the Westside Lounge, a bar in Racine, Wisconsin. So Racine oh is south of Milwaukee, and it's right on the shore of Lake Michigan. After having two white Russians, she let Dennis Peterson, the bartender, know that she was nearly nine months pregnant. He refused to serve her anymore and was pretty pissed about having served her at all. From there, Zimmerman's mom came to the bar, picked up her daughter, and rushed her to the nearby St. Luke's Hospital. Upon being wheeled into the ER, the OB staff attempted to get a fetal monitor on her, which set Zimmerman off. She turned to medical technician Julie Mayer and yelled, I'm just going to go home and keep drinking and drink myself to death, and I'm going to kill this thing because I don't want it anyway. Her blood alcohol content was more than three times the limit. Okay, so the article that I got that from was published in 1996. So at the time, the legal limit in Wisconsin was 0.1. It's since been lowered to 0.08 to fall in line with every other fucking state. Like, we had the highest blood alcohol content legal limit anywhere. People were fucking pissed. People were so pissed. And it's like, just have one less drink before you get in your car with your kids, you guys. Like, it's just Wisconsin as a whole. Yeah, they were like... That's only like four beers. Everybody's like, yeah, dude. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> Except Utah is the only state that's even lower. Like every state's 0.08 right now. Utah is 0.05. Huh. I mean, that's just like, but Utah drinking laws are really, like if you go to Utah, you, a bar is only allowed to serve you two drinks. They have much stricter laws. It's, you know, obviously Mormonism and everything. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Her blood alcohol level was well over 0.3. And I read that it takes 15 drinks to reach 0.3. So she was drinking way before she got to the West Side Lounge at 2 p.m. Yeah. And another, I can't even call it a fun fact. Another interesting thing that I read is that 0.45 is considered fatal in adults. I mean, to get to 0.45, to be awake after that point is just wild. A few hours after Deborah was taken from the bar, baby Megan was born by emergency C-section. She was sluggish, smaller than normal, with wide set eyes and a flat bridge of the nose. All signs of fetal Mm. alcohol syndrome. Baby Megan's BAC was 0.199, twice the limit at the time. Ooh, jeez. Twice the limit for an adult. Yeah. Well, there isn't a limit for children, Gabe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I guess I mean like... I I know what you mean. I mean, I was thinking of like body size... Yeah. yeah, fuck you. You're right. It's, it's, it's still a like percentage thing. But anyway, fetal alcohol syndrome falls on the far end of fetal alcohol spectrum disorders and has a lengthy host of lifelong issues. In the episode, they mentioned the facial feature differences and the small size of the baby. But those are minor visual markers among all of the other things that come with fetal alcohol syndrome. 
People mm -hmm. with FAS can have problems in their central nervous system. They can experience difficulty learning, poor memory, attention span, communication, vision or hearing. They often struggle with behavioral issues and impulse control. So with all of that, they have significant difficulties in school and in their relationships with other people. I've only had experience with one kid in all my years of teaching with FAS. And I had her in a 4K program and she was five and she was such a sweet kid. She, I mean, she had so many, so many things going on. Um, and she ended up getting kicked out of the place I worked at Aww. because she was a lot to handle, obviously, because of what she was dealing with. Yeah. And she, her mom didn't have custody of her. I never met her biological mom. I would take her after school and stuff. Like we would hang out all the time. Like I had a really tight relationship with her. But yeah, she had a lot of stuff with like behavioral stuff, learning stuff, speech issues. Oh, this is heartbreaking. And when she got kicked out, I was so sad. Oh, anyway. As a result of she and her mother's condition, Megan was taken into the custody of the state and placed in the Wisconsin foster care system. Deborah Zimmerman was charged with attempted first-degree intentional homicide and first-degree reckless injury. I read this article, and attorney Priscilla J. Smith, who worked with the Center for Reproductive Law and Policy in New York, said, quote, As far as we can tell, this is the first time where a fetus has not died that a prosecutor is using a murder statute. That makes it unique. But this prosecution is only a culmination of the various attempts across the country to punish pregnant women for the disease of drug abuse or alcohol alcohol abuse. Mm -hmm. Between the late 80s and the time of this case, there had been around 200 women who had been prosecuted for posing danger to their fetuses while pregnant. Some of the charges in those cases included child abuse and the delivery of a controlled substance to a minor. This case got nationwide attention and brought every kind of activist to the table. It was obviously extremely polarizing, you know? One side was fucking flipping their lids because legally at the time, a fetus wasn't considered a, quote, human being by legal standards. So how could these charges be upheld based on following laws? I emphasize that because on the other side, anti-abortion activists took the term human being and put a personalized spin on it, okay, which then fueled their argument for why it's so abhorrent. But mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what your personal belief is. The court has a duty to follow the law and nothing else. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of fucked up laws, but you can't just say I don't like that or that doesn't align with my beliefs and have one case be handled in a way that doesn't align with the law. Yeah. There's like a ton of steps to like changing it. Yeah. And then you overturn Roe v. Wade. Fucking psychos. So oddly enough, both sides seem to agree on one thing. Criminalizing a pregnant woman's behavior would only put pressure on a woman to either have an abortion or just avoid treatment. The same thing that they were saying in the episode. Mm -hmm. You know, so nobody knew what was going to happen with this case. There were so many unprecedented things that were happening as a result. While Deborah was out on bail, she worked waiting tables and visited her daughter every day, continually insisting, quote, I didn't try to kill my daughter. I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. I mean, the woman had a blood alcohol content of point three. That's a full on fucking blackout. Right. And then they're trying to use the words she said at that time in prosecution's case is wild. You know, it, 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 Stupid. it's yeah. not a credible witness. It's not even, a, it's not a credible statement. Yeah. In March of 1997, Deborah appeared before Racine County Circuit Judge Gerald Tasik because she had violated the conditions of her bail. She left her inpatient alcohol treatment center and was caught drinking during a visit with her social worker. The social worker took 
Deborah to a detox center, but then Deborah left shortly after arriving there. As a result, Deborah spent the next two years at Techita Correctional in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Okay, so this entire case gets so messy because of the debate on when human life begins, protection of fetuses as people with autonomy, like everything I was saying before. So the case gets thrown out. All right. The prosecution appeals to the Wisconsin Supreme Court and it gets thrown out again. At this point, there was no law that would hold up these fucking murder charges. Right. As a result of this, Deborah Zimmerman's case, along with other cases in the state involving drugs and pregnancy, prompted the passing of legislation in Wisconsin called the Cocaine Mom Bill that was enacted in 1998. Basically, it states that if a pregnant woman is to be found using drugs or alcohol during pregnancy, they can be reported by counselors, medical staff, etc., and ordered into inpatient treatment for the duration of their pregnancy. The other it's bill that was passed called Cocaine is- Mom Act. Jesus. Well, it's it's got a number. It's like two like know, but still, 282, like- whatever statute 282, whatever. But it was dubbed the Cocaine Mom Bill because more mm-hmm. often than not, this has come up with pregnant women that struggle with cocaine and crack addiction. The other bill that was passed as a result of this case is known as the fetal homicide bill. This says that if someone commits a crime against a pregnant woman and it results in the death of her fetus, that person faces the same level of charges for the fetus that they would a viable living person. But there was a provision, okay? They had to make a full exemption for the mother. Otherwise, someone who would choose to get an abortion would fall under the fetal homicide law and could be charged. So they were like, anybody but the mom. Anybody but the mom, we can use this fetal homicide bill to charge them with injury or death of a fetus. But now I don't fucking know. I don't know. what. Like all these articles I'm reading are from like 1996, 97, 98. I have no idea. Everything's fucked now because Roe v. Wade was just overturned. In our state, it's illegal to get an abortion now in Wisconsin. Isn't it illegal like pretty much everywhere? Not everywhere. I think it's legal in Illinois. There was that whole like, hey, if you want to go camping, wink, I'm happy to drive you to go camping, wink. And I won't tell anybody about our camping trip. Wink. It's a messy situation all, all around. And I did try to look into Deborah and Megan's possible relationship now, but I couldn't find anything more beyond this. So, hmm. but I'm hoping that I'm hoping that Megan's good and doing okay because she was born. What was it? 1986. She would be 17. Nope, that's no. not right. <laughs> uh, 21 year olds were born in 2002. I just oh, saw okay. so yesterday. I was like, 90, oh. 96. She'd be 26 this year. Yeah. So, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, we are off next week. We got to get our fucking computers fixed. But the week after that, we have season five, episode eight, Abomination. I wanted to be like Abominable Snowman. (laughs) (laughs) The gang investigates the murder of a gay dude who was the poster boy for sexual re education. Oh, fucking shit. This is going to be wild and we're going to be fucking fueled with anger. Rage. Rage on you crazy. No, that's not how it is. Nope. Shine (laughs) on you crazy. Okay, geez. (laughs) Okay, geez. It's just that we have to take next week off. We don't want to, but we have to because I'm afraid my if I don't get my computer worked on, I'm, I'm going to like be More in the weeks. middle of editing and I'm going to lose hours of work and then I won't have anything to put out and then I won't have a way to warn everybody and then I won't sleep over it. <laughs> yeah. But we love you and we'll miss you. Mm. <laughs> okay. Hey, rate and review us. 
you guys. Seriously. Yeah. Let's uh let's get that fucking going. Rate and review us. Give us five stars. It really fucking helps. Do you guys want to extra support us? We want you to do that. So give us five stars. Fucking follow us on Instagram. Join our Facebook group. Do all the things. Join mm-hmm. our fucking Patreon. Uh, on Instagram, we're at SVU Pod. And the Facebook group is SVU Pod Elite Squad. We have a chat group called Walk and Talk. Pretty rad. Also, if you want to send us anything, send it to P.O. Box 176 DeForest, Wisconsin 53532. I love getting little things that people send. It's super cool. Yeah, I still have to bring you those couple things that we Maybe got I'll last week. swing by after this. Oh, yeah, shit, do it. Hashtag a little bit loud for finding all your little indie pods. Yeah, and email us at svupod at gmail.com. Yeah. You know what? When I was putting up the videos and mm-hmm. like listening to a little bit of them here and there, it was the first season in the mini souls. We were like, okay, this is like ripping off a Band-Aid. Follow us at SV. Like we felt so guilty like pro- saying yeah, like, right. read reviews if you want. We were like, oh, this is so gross. We're so gross. We're sellouts. <laughs> like it's weird to <laughs> right. say follow us, you know? And there were like eight people listening. And now like- we're like, give us fucking five stars, piece of shit (laughs) yeah if you don't give us five stars what the fuck are you doing oh my god we got this review this person was like oh my god this is my favorite it's my favorite and they're great and i can't find anything wrong with them and then it was four stars and i opened it more and it said update they don't like cats so i'm taking away a star That's the only acceptable. <laughs> Did you reply to it? Were you like, I get it. I totally get you, it. I couldn't because it was on Apple. Like you can't reply to them. Oh God, that's a really good. That's a really good. I want to do that. But don't like joke. Give us less than five. Just like give us five and then make your joke. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Why don't you show me the magic behind the curtain? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will take door number one. (laughs) We get it. We get it, Tasha. You are not sexy in any way. That's the zipper to your pants. (laughs) Balthus says it's criminal trespass and he probably won't even get probation. I said, I said probation really weird, didn't I? Probation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I did say it like that. (laughs) Okay. I'm here for the fingering. <laughs> yeah. I showed up to the orgy. Where's the fingering happening? Where's the finger? Is this the fingering room? I'm sorry to interrupt, but what is this? No. Excuse me. And to our Elite Squad patrons, Sonia W., Marissa M., Elkie H., Annie G., Mary D., Andrew, Andrew. Rebecca D., Miranda B., Shelby W., Lex, Emily T., Kayla W., Mallory G., Bonita R., Marin, Vanessa, Amy P., Melanie G., Courtney Dubs, Ursula S., Kate H., Uyanga, Sapphire, God, gross, Catherine M., shut up, Kate P., <laughs> Jessica S, <laughs> Nicole M, Acacia V, Kelsey D, Jenna M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Bear. Bear. I'm loving it. <laughs> Crystal, <laughs> Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Emily A, Mac Attack, Casey W, Abby W, Alexis J, Lauren T, Cassandra S, Kaylin B, Camilla Z. Nisha G, Maggie D, K Allen, Katie M, Crystal B, Jessica P, Nada M, Sin, Christina D, Liana, Madison H, Emily, oh my god! <laughs> Victoria B, Scout G, Melissa M, Drew B, Quentin S, 
Amberly C, Laura H, Louise M, Eliza W, Katarina G, Vegan Pole Dancer, <laughs> and Katie S. Oh my God, you guys, thank you so much. Thank you, you guys. Thank you, you guys. <laughs> 